Welcome to Night of the Living Geeks. If you geek out over it, we've got a podcast for you. If memory serves, here on the Night of the Living Geeks Network, I'm Sebastian, and with me as he is every month when we wander back through the hazy halls of our memories growing up in the Bay Area in the 1980s and 1990s, he is the El Capitan to my half dome, the Coleman Lantern to my sleeping bag. He is my brother, Tay. Tay, how's it going? Holy moly, uh, Seb, I've got to say that in leading up to recording tonight and going through the intro, in my head... I had planned to say that you are the El Capitan to my half dome. No. I absolutely did. I kid you're just, you not. You're just saying that. That's not I even on our show notes. That. That's, it's we not. independently came up with that. Yeah. That's crazy. I always kind of freestyle that part. Um, oh my gosh. Wow. That's pretty exciting. If you ever wanted proof that we are brothers, that's pretty amazing right there. Well, I like to think that great minds think alike. So, they they tend to, and, and unfortunately in this day and age, really, really dumb minds also think alike a lot. <laughs> um. <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, as you can probably tell, my brother is suffering from a little bit of a cold. But you know what? He is a trooper. He is going to power through tonight. We are still going to produce a great podcast for your listening pleasure this evening. I am armed and with Taylor, throat coat tea of which, and cough drops. Exactly, throat coat tea, and I want you to listen very closely through your headphones at the following sound, and maybe you can tell me what you think this sound is. Hold on one second. Were you able to hear that? Uh, sort of. It sounded like you're opening a cassette tape. I actually just opened a five-ounce can of treetop apple juice. Oh, good God, are you kidding me? They are still on the market. Well, they are, but not in the way that we remember them, and we will talk about that later. We will. We will. So, hey, what's new in Livermore? How are you doing? Well, other than fighting a cold um, and kind of trying to meter my talking so as not to suddenly burst forth with a cough, <laughs> um, so like that, um, uh, things are well. You know, we are... Um, keeping busy here on the homestead um just got most of a water softener system installed okay um wasn't the greatest install in the world and we're kind of working on getting that rectified but that's another story okay um, how are you i'm doing great you know i went to my local toys r us here in sacramento recently of course as we've talked about in the podcast toys r us is unfortunately finally going out of business um, I was really surprised. Well, I, I probably shouldn't have been surprised, but when I went to the Toys R Us, they had a huge sign. The first thing you go in the door, a huge sign. They're selling off all the fixtures. So they have everything like um, the refrigerator in their break room, the trash compactor out in the back in the alley. Everything has a dollar value placed to it, and they're wow. selling everything. And it really got me thinking because I know we've talked about on the podcast our affinity for the Toys R Us location in Sunnyvale that's purportedly haunted by ghosts. And I'm so tempted to go down there to see if they're also selling those fixtures because I can't tell you how excited I would be to own, let's say, a microwave oven from the break room at the haunted Toys R Us and being able to proudly call that a possession of mine. I, I just I, can't think of anything more exciting. Maybe something actually Toys R Us branded? 
maybe something Toys R Us branded that might work too. But um, I just love the idea of something uh, a little uh, something utilitarian, maybe. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think I can more justify that kind of purchase. Um, not sure if I could, in my mind, justify buying one of the shopping carts. I was kind of tempted though. You know, I mean, where else are you going to buy a Toys R Us shopping cart? You know, that's, that's a good point. Uh, so that's that's been kind of the latest uh, thing going on in my mind these days. Uh, and going to see if I can make this happen. I'm not sure. I'm not wow. sure. Well, good luck. Well, thank you. Previously on. Previously on. Previously on. If memory serves. Uh, we are happy to report that our ap- April episode had 104 plays, which was a new record for us. Yeah. And we want to thank all of our listeners for uh, tuning in and listening to our April episode on our memories about video games and computer games, arcade games, etc. Um, and I think that was really exciting. You know, it's really fun to be in triple digits, I think. Um, Definitely. It's yeah. It's nice to so, know that more than just our mom and dad listen to this. Exactly. So thank you, listener. We really do appreciate you. We appreciate your listening and any feedback and um, any money you might give us. We accept gifts in kind, gift yeah. cards, anything like that. So thank you very much. But not Toys R Us gift cards because we <laughs> can't use those for much longer. <laughs> or Jeffrey Dollars. I wouldn't accept Jeffrey Dollars because I would probably frame those and put them on the wall. Yeah, fair point. Um, but let's let's see what's happening. Uh, let's see what's happening in the news. Why don't we? An ABC News Break brought to you by Budweiser Beer. Stay with us. The late edition is next. So, of course, we've all probably heard by now, but a third Bill and Ted movie has finally moved into the pre-production stage. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill and Ted, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves are reprising. um, Thank you. Reprising. Yes, they're reprising their legendary roles as Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan. Um, party on dudes of course i kind of I'm, don't get me wrong nobody's more excited about a third bill and ted film than i am um i kind of feel that maybe they're suffering from the uh ghostbuster syndrome where they maybe waited a little too long so some of the original beloved actors have already passed away unfortunately um of course george carlin has been gone about 10 years now um who played rufus um now tay i think it's fair to say you're as much a fan of bill and ted as i am at least the first bill and ted film i i enjoy both the films very much right um now you're the resident doctor who expert in the family i've been meaning to ask you how do you feel about bill and ted from the lens of a doctor who fan of course doctor who and bill and ted both famously travel through time and space through a telephone booth um is is bill and ted just a plain riff off I mean, are they? I mean, how do you feel about this? Is imitation the most sincere form of flattery, or is this? Uh, we need to get the lawyers involved, and there's some sort of lawsuit that needs to happen. Um, no, honestly, uh, when when it first came out, um, and I was what twelve, thirteen years old, I was kind of like, oh, dude, come on, you're ripping off Doctor Who, whatever. They had a right. they had a booth first, they had yeah, a box first. Um, but but really, you know, as an adult. They're, they're two very separate, very different things. So you um, think the universe is big I'm enough totally for two different it. franchises that travel around in phone booths? Absolutely. I mean, okay. how many, um, you know, we've got different franchises that travel in different vehicles. Why not? Okay. Why okay. not? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm happy for it. I'm excited. I think, I think the plot for it sounds great. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it move into, uh, production and post-production and, the theaters i'll totally go see it 
would you would you agree with me in in so far as saying that the best scene from the first Bill and Ted's film is the montage when the historical figures are in the shopping mall and you had like Beethoven playing some electric keyboards and like um, Joan of Arc doing aerobics. Yeah, that was definitely that. I think like when I was a kid, I loved that scene. And now when I watch it in 2018, apparently that was filmed in the Metro Center shopping mall in Phoenix, Arizona, which it's still in business today, but it's pretty much one of these dying malls where you Mm -hmm. can go and it's just mostly empty. uh, It's like a shell of a mall, basically. And I love watching that. You can watch that little two-minute montage on YouTube. And it's so great just for seeing all of the stores in the background and all of the accoutrement of shopping malls in the 80s and 90s, which we've talked about in previous episodes, you know? And I just, oh, I just love it. I just love it. Um, And let's see what else we have coming on to the news. We have, uh, oh, hey, here we go. An utterly massive gaming collection heads to auction May 31st. Video game historian and author Bill... LeJudas will be auctioning off his personal collection of tens of thousands of vintage video games and consoles later this month at the New Jersey Convention and Expo Center. Tay, are you in the market for anything special? Um, I'd still, I would still love a copy of North and South for the NES. North and South, okay. Yeah, apparently he's been amassing his collection for 38 years, and yeah. he is selling out. So it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, collection that's going to be uh, up for sale. Um, another yeah. thing. Oh yeah. Oh, I was just going to say. Unfortunately, uh, our episode doesn't post until the beginning of June. So if you're hearing this and go, <laughs> that sounds really neat. You've already missed out. I'm sorry. <laughs> and also, uh, just recent uh, breaking news. Uh, sadly, the one of the co-founders of Atari, Ted Dabney, has uh, passed away at the age of 81. Uh, which is is very sad news. Um, I know that we've uh, in the past broken some. Uh, news about the passing of individuals that we've uh, we've expressed admiration for in the podcast, either directly like Art Bell or indirectly like mm-hmm. Ted Dabney through his work with Atari. Um, and of course, we can have uh, links to a lot, all of these uh, news events in our show notes when the show goes live. Most um, definitely, yeah. This time on, if memory serves. Ladies and gentlemen, if you uh, if you're not aware, yes. So we're going to be talking about camping tonight. Some of our vintage uh, childhood and adolescent memories, going on road trips with our parents, uh, camping in the great outdoors, summer vacations, all that kind of great stuff. And Taylor, I think you 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 probably would agree with me that um, we kind of have to start this discussion with Yosemite National Park and our experiences camping in Yosemite Valley in the summers of the mid and late 1980s and early 1990s with our parents. You know, um, it wasn't even that. Um, I, I think we're looking at this kind of chronologically. You know, camping in Yosemite was probably more like 1980 or 81 through 87. And I think that's probably from fair. from 87 and into the 90s was beach camping. Okay, okay. That sounds great to me. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, I, and I only say that because I've been going through some old photo albums and stuff and um there there is a very clear kind of switch over um and and 87 kind of seems to be that just because i remember when we bought um my vw bus in december of 86 we did one year where we tried driving that up to yosemite okay so that had to have been 87 Mm -hmm. and then after that all the pictures and stuff we have are from camping at the beach and we would often take one of the buses okay okay 
Um, I think I, I think I might have some family photos of us camping in Yosemite in 92 or 93. Yeah. Um, I think, um, we'll talk more about this as, okay. as the podcast goes on, but yeah, I, I, I think in, in broad strokes, you're completely accurate. I think you're, it's very true. Um, but I, I think that, um, although camping at the beach and camping at Yosemite were both, um, uh, happy experiences and memories for us, I oh, think totally. probably, um, I mean, if, if somebody put a gun to my head, I think I, I, I'd have to prefer Yosemite a little bit. I'm not sure why. Um, I think it's just maybe the outstanding natural beauty. Uh, not to say that the Santa Cruz region is not beautiful, but you can find lots of beautiful coastlines around the world. Um, I no, think I'll, Yosemite, I'll, agree, I'll agree with that. I still yeah. say Yosemite is probably my favorite place on earth. And I, I want to take my kids up there soon too. Definitely. I want definitely. them to experience it. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was in Yosemite, I was in the Valley about a month ago and, um, I know I've read over the past couple of years with all the droughts in California that there's been a huge massive die off of the the trees up in the, the national park and the surrounding national forests. But I really wasn't uh, prepared for seeing just how many trees were dead. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was really startling. Um, and luckily it snowed one of the nights that I was up there and a good coating of snow made Millions of dead trees look pretty again. <laughs> yeah, it, it <laughs> so, does that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so looking in our show notes here, it looks like one of the things that, that you have on your list, it says thunderstorms and the magic helmet. Oh, now, boy, yeah. Maybe you can regale uh, some of our uh, listeners with the tale of uh, the magic helmet. Well, so when I was young, when I was young, um, I was afraid of thunderstorms. Um, it, they just scared the pants off me and the sierras are renowned for especially in summertime very sudden uh thunderstorms that could swell up and um i also at that age would get a little car sick on mountain roads okay um so i you know mom would grab a uh, a tupperware bowl and bring it with us on our trip, and if I started feeling car sick, I could just, you know, let loose in that. Um, so here we are in Yosemite, and, you know, mom is doing her best to try and, you know, give me some courage in the face of a thunderstorm. Um, mm-hmm. And we grew up watching, you know, old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, What's Opera Doc. Um, in which, you know, wearing the big Viking hat, they're singing about the spear and magic helmet. And so, um, uh, that's just kind of where our minds went to at that point. So here I am, this little kid, um, and what's going to give me strength, uh, to not be afraid of the thunderstorms, uh, was my magic helmet, which is basically just a Tupperware bowl we used for me to throw up in on the drive up. Clean out, of course. Clean out of, yes, exactly. Just, just to, just to clarify this for the listeners, uh, this was something that uh, I'm not sure if you ever did wear it on your head, but of course you wouldn't have worn it on your head after it had been fouled, um, obviously. Um, but the one thing that I'm curious about with the thunderstorms, I mean, don't get me wrong. I totally understand being a little kid and vomiting at something. I did that a million times as a little kid. Whereas you, with you, it was something legitimate like a thunderstorm. For me, it was something unusual like Transformers the movie. But anyway, uh, that aside... Um, 
were you more frightened by the thunder or the lightning or both? Um, honestly, I mean, it really, it, it was, it was probably a mix of both. I mean, it was okay. probably the, the sound of the thunder that scared me more. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I guess the sound is scarier. But well, I guess when you think about it rationally, I mean, the lightning is the thing that could actually hurt you. You know what I mean? Oh, Where, definitely. Like, the sound is just, yeah. you know, just just background music, I guess. Yeah. Um, For but what yeah, it's I worth, mean, I'm not afraid we, of it anymore. I think thunder and lightning is awesome. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Um, I mean, we definitely were in Yosemite during many, or at least a number of memorable storms. Mm-hmm. Um one of them that uh, you mentioned on our list and that I definitely remember was one freak storm uh, one year that flooded our campsite one summer. Um, and I think it was there was so much rain that we had a box of firewood that floated away, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there was a little teeny tiny whisper of a creek that kind of ran near our campground. And um, when this storm let loose, uh, mm-hmm. it just swelled up so fast um we were all huddled up in the tent and it was just coming down in i mean bigger than buckets gallon drums you know whatever and we peek outside and yeah there's our our box of firewood which wasn't full at that time yeah um starting to float away yeah and i think like a a chase lounge that we had brought (laughs) yeah was starting to kind of drift off and, and dad ran out there and in the worst of it and, and snatched him back up. Right. Right. And, uh, and just to kind of paint a picture, I mean, we, it's my memory, correct me if I'm wrong. We had a, a we, we didn't sleep in a motorhome or anything like that or a mm-hmm. cabin. It was a tent. It was a, fa- a privately owned tent that we had in the family. And it was, it was kind of green in color. Um, it looked like it, it was, belonged on the set of mash. Yeah, exactly. It was um, very boxy. There's, there is is at least one photo that, that I emailed you earlier today that hopefully we can use in our social media that shows this tent. Yeah, of um, I, I can't imagine that mom and dad still have that no, tent. No, they don't. I, I can't imagine. Um, it, it was big enough to fit, you know, two adults and two children comfortably on cots, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that tent, I mean, that just... We we always had that tent as a family, and it was it was almost like a second home in a sense, you know. It totally was, yeah. I mean, it's a a great tent. We affectionately called it Hotel Nelson. Right, exactly. Um, you know, and, lots lots of good memories of, of yeah, that tent. It was that dull olive grab, that olive olive green drab, olive green color. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, I literally, I mean, it literally looked like it could have belonged on an episode of Mash. I'm not kidding. Right, right. Um, you know, probably one of the thing, another thing on, uh, you put in the show notes, I think for me personally is my earliest memory of Yosemite that can be dated to a, a specific day. Yeah. Um, which was a tragic, um, occurrence, uh, that happened in Yosemite, um, uh, also involving lightning, mm-hmm. um, when, uh, two rock climbers were actually killed by a lightning strike while climbing Half Dome. Um, and, uh, there's a, there's a little article that was published in the LA Times and I, I'll, I'll just briefly quote a little bit of it um, mm-hmm. it was actually uh, the date was July 27th 1985 and according to the article two rock climbers were killed when they were struck by lightning atop of famed half dome here park official said Sunday three others were injured two of them critically the five were sitting in a cavern on top of the monolith overlooking Yosemite Valley Saturday about 6 30 p.m 
when a series of lightning flashes started a few small fires and struck the climbers, a spokeswoman said. One of the victims was struck on the head and went into convulsions and fell 4,000 feet to his death. The five were part of a group of nine who came to the park Friday night. Only the five who were struck attempted the rugged hike to the top of Half Dome. The climber's plight was discovered when the other hikers reached the valley floor about 9 p.m. Saturday. A helicopter was flown from Modesto to the top of Half Dome about midnight to take the remaining four away. And my, I definitely have really strong memories of, I think, the following day when mm. there were, there was, it was multiple helicopters that I can remember. I think some of them actually landing in some of the meadows, um, maybe for, I don't know, medevac or maybe searching for other people. I'm not sure. But I, I take it they, they, this is a, a strong memory for you as well. Yeah, it totally is. I mean, I remember a, a very severe thunderstorm um, one night. And, you know, obviously at that age being afraid, um, and then getting up the next morning and being woken up by the sound of helicopters in the valley. Mm -hmm. And of course the valley, you know, things will, things big like that will echo for quite some distance. Yeah. Um, I think they were kind of like the Huey type helicopters. If uh, I, I think at that time they probably were, were something comparable to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was actually many years later, I was working in a Barnes and Noble and was putting books away one night because customers, you don't know how to put away your own books. Um, <laughs> right. And I was over in the sports section and I saw a book called Shattered Air. And I'm like, okay. why is Half Dome on the cover? Mm-hmm. And I started reading the back and it's the story of these people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy crap, I was there. I remember mm-hmm. this and I always meant mm-hmm. to buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, for whatever reason, just never did. Right, right. Yeah, that was a crazy thing. And you know, it's 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 kind of um, a little creepy because when I was in Yosemite last month, the hotel gift shop, amongst all the you know bumper stickers and T-shirts you could buy, there was a small book section. And one of the books was actually um, a recent publication that had been put out by some historians, documenting all of the deaths recorded deaths that have happened in the park. Mm. And the cover of the book had on the picture of the cover, um, a a photograph of a decaying human corpse. Oh, yes. And it was just like so out of place with all the little stuffed animals and keychains. It was just like bizarre. And I don't want to make light of anybody's death, but it's, it's, it's interesting how sometimes a place that can be so beautiful and full of happy memories can also be kind of dangerous too, I guess, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um, Gee whiz. Let's uh let's brighten it up. We're getting a little dark on our summer vacation trip here. Let's talk <laughs> let's talk about something really fun. Let's talk about Blackie. Now Blackie Blackie is something that was is on our show notes and actually I misremembered the story. You remembered the accurate one and I talked to mom and she confirmed that your memory was the accurate one. Mm-hmm. Apparently, um one summer when we were vacationing as a family and camping in Yosemite Valley, um I was I was really sick. Um, and mom was saying that we were waiting for a shuttle bus and the shuttle bus came, but there wasn't enough space on it. So mom and I had to walk back to the campsite on foot and mom was actually carrying me because I was so sick and I was just crying and wailing, you know, cause I was in pain. Mm-hmm. And apparently, um, we had bought a small stuffed, uh, not really a teddy bear, like a black bear. Yeah. And we named it Blackie. And I think um uh alerted by my cries uh a mounted park ranger came over to check up on us um and it's funny because my memory um i think what happened was over the years my memory 
kind of became a little bit more elaborate where the ranger actually gifted me the stuffed bear to like quiet me down or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, I was talking to mom last weekend about this and we were talking about this and I was, I was kind of explaining how, you know, the ranger probably was trying to check up on us to make sure like mom wasn't kidnapping me. Cause here's this lady walking with carrying this child. who's like wailing out his mind. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and even, you know, for years afterwards, I remember sometimes we would be digging around in, um, the room behind the old garage where we had the model train set growing up mm-hmm. and looking, maybe looking for old Halloween decorations to put up in October. And I would, I, a couple, every once in a while I'd find Blackie and he was still kind of moldering in the corner or something Aww. like that covered in like mold and spider eggs and things like that, you know? But, Poor Blackie. Yeah. Blackie was, that was good. Good times. Good times. Um, so let's see what else we have. We've already mentioned Hotel Nelson, the mm-hmm. the, uh, the famous tent. Um, now on the show notes, you've mentioned Camp Curry. Um, do you have any uh, special memories of Camp Curry? Well, it it was always the the nearest. What do you want to call it? Concession area uh-huh. to where we camped, and it was um, it was a great source of soft serve ice cream, um, amongst other things. I mean that 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 patio area that they had there. I mean, at least in the eighties, mm-hmm. um, it just, if I could just transmit the pictures in my head out to people, that it, it would be so much easier and I can't do that, but it just, um, it, it was such a neat place bustling with people and smells of food. I mean, I remember the bike rentals were there. I think there was a recycling center there. Uh, there was a small store. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I remember, I think you could buy things like backpacks and jackets. Yeah, yeah. You could get bits of clothing. You get some souvenir stuff. Obviously, if you know, hey, you need a drink. Um, you know, they had um, uh, um, coolers, uh, um, store size, you know, frozen section at the back, or refrigerated section. I think there might have been a pizza parlor. Um, no, the pizza parlor was in Yosemite Village. Okay. Um. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there were so many things that I remember about Camp Curry. I mean, that would be like the place where we would, if not at Yosemite Village, pick up some of these old, you know, uh, Mad Magazine trade paperbacks or Family Circus trade paperbacks mm-hmm. that seemed to typify the, the reading material we would have with us uh, on these trips. Although I seem to remember some Garfield anthologies in the mix there, too. Right. What about you? No, yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. I think Camp Curry and Yosemite Village were, um, they were really fun because they, you know, it was a, uh, you know, you'd be camping, you know, half a mile down the way in your little campsite, but, you know, Camp Curry or Yosemite Village was the oasis or island or bastion of um, commercialism where you could go and actually spend money and get pre-prepared food. And if you were tired of eating you know, granola bars all day. You could get some yeah, string cheese or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I mean, I definitely, uh, this might be a touchy question, but definitely um, famously in the news a couple years back uh, due to a uh, dispute, legal dispute with um, the vendor that the yes. National Park Service used mm-hmm. to operate a lot of these uh, establishments, the names of many of the uh, institutions in the Valley, like Camp Curry, were changed for copyright reasons. Um Technically, Camp Curry these days is called Half Dome Village, 
which uh, is a name is that has uh, so little inspiration behind it. It's almost comical. Yeah. Um, and 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 I know that you're not a fan of the new names. No. If, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. No. I'm not. Um, and like for instance, I mean everybody. I think everybody listening is familiar if with the Awani Hotel. Uh, if not in person, just the the reputation of the of the establishment. Of course, these days it's technically called the Majestic Yosemite Hotel. Um, last month, when I was in the valley, I was uh, determined uh, to find souvenirs uh, with the names, some of these new names emblazoned on them: T-shirts, sweaters, whatever. Uh, because I'm convinced that these names are so bad, eventually, at some point in the future, there will legally somehow be a reversal to the old names, the real names, and that a lot of these souvenirs will thus become uh, almost like curiosities, mm-hmm. uh, things that maybe in the future will have greater historic or even monetary value because they recall a really weird brief time in the history of the park. And I couldn't find a single thing with the new names emblazoned on them. I was really? shocked. My jaw fell open because I was like, I was going to load up. This was going to be my new big investment opportunity. I was going to get on on the ground floor finally for once, and I couldn't find anything. Wow. Um, which maybe is a good thing because maybe these names are so horrible that they deserve to be forgotten uh, by history in the future if we get the old names back. Yeah, no kidding. No <laughs> kidding. So now I'm 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 assuming you recall um, a very popular beverage that we frequently drink on camping trips, including to Yosemite. Um, treetop apple juice specifically in the comically small aluminum cans that yes. mom would purchase um i can't tell you how much people a lot oftentimes talk about how memories can be triggered by smells or tastes just as much as by sight or sound mm-hmm. and treetop apple juice drunk out of a five ounce can brings me back so much to our childhood memories in fact i i have to tell you um the last time that I ever slept in a tent was 1997. It was the week before I started my freshman year of college. Wow. And I actually got a whole bunch of the tiny little dinky treetop apple juice cans to drink on the trip. Because, of course, by this point in my life, I had been conditioned to believe that this is what you had to drink when you're on a camping trip. And it's so funny because uh, I think I had some leftovers. And my first week in the dorms, freshman year, I was still trying to navigate and figure out where the heck the dining hall, dining room was or whatever the dining hall and how to get, you know, real food. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just ate, I kind of ate the remaining camping supplies, the food and drink that I had in my dorm room that first week. And so I kind of, I drank those little apple juices. And even though I've drank, I've drunk apple juice since then, I've never drunk apple juice out of the tiny cans until I got the six pack at the Safeway in preparation for tonight's episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and so, the thing is, is that, you know, at, at, at this point in time, in the, in the early to mid-80s, you didn't have, like, the same kind of uh, uh, flip-open top like you'd find, like, on a regular soda can. This would literally right. was like a, a peel tab top. Right, right. That had covered this kind of teardrop-shaped hole that if, if you've really been playing around in the Lower Pines campground and you really, really were thirsty... And you were right. knocking back that treetop apple juice. You could really, really easily get your upper lip stuck in that right. sharp metal hole. Right, I, right. I, and it's, as soon as I saw you stick that on the show notes, I mean, uh, that's what I went back to. I was like, oh, God, getting her freaking lips yep. stuck yep. in those cans. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it's so funny because when I got the little 
rinky-dink six-pack at the store. I mean, first of all, I was just ecstatic that they still made it. I wasn't going to have to search eBay for like a pack that was like 20 years old or something. Oh, gosh, no. But the, the first thing I noticed was it had the wrong tops. It had the regular tops that you would find on a soda can. Yeah. And I'm sure that the reason they have that now is because... They've gotten to the point where it's cheap enough to do that, use it, use that form of technology instead of the te- technology that we grew up with in the 80s, which probably caused lots of lawsuits with kids with bloody lips or something. <laughs> Maybe. So even though it's a step up, I was still so heartbroken that I couldn't drink it out of the stupid little pull tab things from the, from the 80s. If any of our listeners know anything about what we're talking about and can relate to us, please let us know because um, – uh, it, it, I, I would, I would, I would hate to think we're the only ones that reminisce uh, about these little apple juices. Um, but uh, we, we, we now have to really touch on a topic that, for me, when we discussed doing this topic tonight about camping, obviously we both knew Yosemite was going to be a big part of part of the episode. Yeah. But for me, the biggest thing out of this whole episode for me that I have to talk about as being a huge memory and a huge happy memory of camping are the Yosemite shuttle buses. And so I can, bad. I can't tell you how much of a rabbit hole I've fallen down over the past month on the internet, trying to find information about this because tour and shuttle buses, they've operated in Yosemite Valley since the 1930s. But from what I've been able to find out about 1982, the national park service purchased a small fleet of, Phantom diesel shuttle buses manufactured by Gillig. Now, Gillig produced hundreds of buses, including a model called the Phantom, over the decades. And I'm sure everybody listening has seen one of these, even if they aren't familiar with the name of the maker model. They look pretty much just like regular city buses. <laughs> and the Yosemite Phantoms were decked out in black, beige, and white paint scheme. And unlike the hundreds of other Phantoms around the world, the Yosemite fleet was fitted with special roof windows to afford passengers a better view of the spectacular scenery. Now, the Phantoms operated in Yosemite Valley for about 20 years until they were replaced in the early 2000s by cleaner vehicles. But the brown Phantom buses of my childhood are among my strongest and fondest memories of camping. Mm -hmm. And while you can easily find photos and literature about Yosemite shuttle buses from the 1930s and 40s, there is frustratingly little information about or images of the Phantoms online. And I think my fascination with these Phantom buses dates back to my early childhood experiences growing up watching Sesame Streets. And one of the scariest animations I ever saw on Sesame Street (laughs) was about bus stops. In fact, let's take a quick listen to an audio clip from Sesame Street right now. So my takeaway from this cartoon that I saw when I was a little kid was that public transit is very scary. I mean, it was very ominous ominous music in this little bit of animation. But the very first buses I ever rode in my life were the Yosemite Phantoms. The Phantoms were clean. They were on time. They were driven by funny and courteous drivers. 
The fellow passengers you sat with were clean, well-behaved, and happy. The scenery was spectacular. And little did I know how wrong my first impressions would turn out to be. Years of riding public transit in Sacramento, San Francisco, and Great Britain have taught me one of the most important life lessons I've ever learned. Sesame Street is always right. Sesame Street never lies. Because all of the time that I've been on public transit, the people that I've ridden with are sketchy people. The public transit, the buses, the light rails, they're always late. They're expensive, whereas the Yosemite Phantoms were free to get on and ride. Um, the public transit systems I've always ridden have been completely filthy and dirty. The scenery you look at is really disgusting. So you, Sesame Street was right. The ominous music in the cartoon was accurate. Kids did need to learn that public transit was going to be a sketchy place to navigate. And nevertheless, I still pine for these Yosemite shuttle buses. I mean, right now, it's 8.48 p.m. If a black beige and white Gillick Phantom bus pulled up on our in front of my apartment right now, I would probably get on it, regardless of the driver or destination. That's how much I love these buses. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. I just had such happy memories of these. I mean, you remember – you have some fond memories of these, some oh, of these I, bus drivers. I totally do. You know, these these buses were so – they were both ubiquitous and and super special because, yeah, you, you've got this, um, you know, very open roof. You know, you can sit there and, and ride the shuttle bus around and not have to look past somebody to see – scenery you know you can look up through the roof and you can see el capitan or, or or just the trees going by or whatever um and and something about their their two-tone brown paint scheme it was so 80s right it it, it, it was so 80s and there was something so like national park yosemite about it at the same yeah. time yeah um, yeah 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 no those were super rad buses and you know the pictures that that you've found online. I went, oh my god, look here! That here's check this out. Check this out. It was is really took me back. Um, and what's a fun little side note is that Gillig, the manufacturer, um, was based in Hayward, uh, California, right. for yeah ages and ages and ages, and only now recently has moved to Livermore. Oh, there you go, Barry, a connection. Yeah, um, nice. But I there was one bus driver one year um that i have hi memers everybody say hello to memers um i have such an incredibly fond memory of because the guy was just an outright comedian mm -hmm. i always wanted like that year whatever year it was i don't remember even what year it was mm -hmm. that we were up there i wanted to catch this guy's bus every single possible time that we could mm-hmm you know, like I would pay attention if we caught it in the morning. Oh, oh he's he's driving bus, you know, number one thirty. Mm -hmm. I, I there would be times where I'm like, no, no, no we we got to wait for one thirty to come around again because mm -hmm. I want to mm -hmm. be on this dude's bus. There, there right. I think there was at least one or two times where we just rode the whole loop just to hear him. Right, right. Um, and and sadly, I can only remember a couple of the jokes off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi, memers. Uh, one of them was... Oh, and if you look up off here to the left, you can see Apache snow. There's Apache here and Apache there. <laughs> um, and then there was one joke about the stables. When you come around to the stables, oh, here we go, here's the Yosemite stables, where it's something like you actually pay money to get saddle sore, or something like that. It's, it's mm -hmm. not That's not word for word, so don't quote me on that. The Apache snow is... 
yeah, That's yeah, the one yeah. that always stuck in my head. I don't know why. Yeah, and it's that kind of humor that like five year olds are just gonna a die over. Total puns. You know? I mean, yeah. I, I could credit this guy for my love of puns, you know, yeah. for all I know. But yeah, that was that was one of the great things. Uh, yeah, and the, the great thing about these buses, and here's the other thing too. You know, even though there's hundreds of these phantom buses that have been made throughout the decades around the world, uh, from what I can tell, only the ones that operated in Yosemite National Park had this special roof system with the windows and the ceiling. So there's probably just a hand, a couple dozen of them never built, and probably most of them have been junked by now. And my latest obsession is I want to try to find a scale model of the Gillig Phantom, maybe for sale by companies that make like uh, model trains, model train kits and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then like, see if I can find somebody that I can hire to like take them, take it apart and like cut little windows in the ceiling and paint it. You know what I mean? In this color somebody, Yeah. Yeah. Cause I just, there's, I need to somehow have this back in my life. But well, um, you know, it might, it might actually be worth reaching out to Gillig corporate and being like, Hey, I'm studying this. I'm, researching this right there's uh, there's got to be some like retired gillig person somewhere that like his closet has all of the manuals and all that kind of good stuff well and and, you know like any good company it's not in somebody's closet they keep copies of it i I hope i hope i hope you're right yeah well it's it's definitely we can we can take a look you know um now hey there's something on the show notes kind of interesting and it's uh it's a little mysterious. It's a little legend of something called Elmer. Oh, um, yes, Elmer. Now, we're going to have a link about some history of Elmer in the Yosemite Valley in the show notes. So definitely check that out. It's actually written by somebody who works for the Park Service. It's really good. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in this context, we're not talking about Elmer Fudd, even though we talked a little bit earlier about um, Bugs Bunny cartoons. In the episode. Wabbits. Um, Elmer was and is to this day, as far as I can understand, kind of a tradition in Yosemite National Park that kids or even other people would yell out the name, um, maybe in the evening, um, yelling Elmer. And Uh there's actually, um, legends, not legends, but, um, it's very difficult to trace the origins of this. It's not even a tale. It's not even that there's like a story behind it, like, there was a bear named Elmer or maybe like somebody got lost in the forest named Elmer and people are searching for him. Um, apparently from what I read in that article that, that you have the link to, mm-hmm. it was popular amongst soldiers, American soldiers during the first world war to refer to a incompetent soldier as Elmer. Um, and so if, if a soldier got missing, people would call out, you know, where is Elmer or Elmer, Elmer? And maybe that that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's bizarre because you might be in the valley and it might be evening time and you might be going on a stroll or reading a book and you would hear people in other campsites off in the woods, children or adults screaming out Elmer. <laughs> and it was just like part of the, the background sound along with the sound of insects or crickets or something like that. Right. Um and uh, it was just kind of a really fun little um, tradition. I don't think it's something that happens in other national parks around the country, um, which is kind of it's kind of cool. Um, one really interesting thing about um, Yosemite: uh, our parents uh, were avid campers in Yosemite, even you know before we were born and going back to their childhood. Um, I know that 
we have a lot of family photos of my father and his parents and his siblings camping in Yosemite mm-hmm. uh, back in the 1960s and maybe even to the late 1950s. Um, and I'm not sure if this is um, appropriate for the podcast. And if you, if you don't think it's appropriate to say, feel free to edit this out. But if I'm not mistaken, I think that at one point, and maybe even to this day, our father has expressed the wish that when he passes away, he wants to be cremated and his ashes actually spread um, secretly in Yosemite National Park in the Merced River uh, off of uh, Stoneman's Bridge. Oh, you know, that, um, that, that does ring a bell. And you know what? I'll tell you, I have, I, I could have sworn a couple years ago, I saw a headline on the news stating that the Park Service was contemplating demolishing Stoneman Bridge. And I remember going to Dad and saying, Dad, you're either going to have to find a different a different way you want to go or, or, or kick the bucket a little sooner, you know what I mean? Because it's like, I don't know how we're going to honor your wishes if the bridge isn't even there anymore, you know? Well, you can go to where it was, certainly. I guess you could, yeah. But, I mean, the Merced River flowing through the valley was just a really fun place for, the, for you and I, I think. I, I, I seem to recall that... Um, one year we went rafting on the river. Um, yeah, it seems like my my memory of rafting, it, it was probably a drought year, so the Merced was low. Oh, it was super low. Yeah, I don't want um, you, I don't want people to think that this was like White River rafting or something really, you know, yeah, outrageous. No, nothing quite that exciting, but it, yeah. the most exciting part of it was uh, us being so heavy in the boat that we were smacking our butts on pretty much every river rock. Yeah, it's like yeah, we were in the we were in the raft, but you could feel every pebble almost in the on the floor of the river. You know, yeah, it was it was a trip. It was really uh, neat. You know, a memory that just kind of popped to mind, and I'm amazed that neither of us actually put it down. Um, and it's even a story that's come up with my kids before. Is uh, okay. do you remember the fire ants? Um, I don't know. Did we get bit? Because you were the one. Who decided as a, a, a young child to plop himself down basically in the middle of a path of a bunch of fire ants and get the crap bit out of you. <laughs> it sounds like something I would have done. I, it vaguely rings a bell. I think I might have a memory of us stay, saying that story yeah. maybe in the 90s. I don't know if I remember the incident itself. But You must have sounds been very like, small when that happened. I'm probably, yeah, probably, it's probably a good thing I don't remember that story. Yeah, but, probably. Um, was I crying a lot? Was oh, really yeah. Crying? Oh really? Oh my uh, gosh! Yeah, that was that uh, was a lot, a lot of pain. Yeah, for but you. I mean, but that's interesting though, because you know there were lots of uh, animals and wildlife oh, sure. in the valley that we interacted with, um, and uh, I think I think we both remember the an incident involving a bear. Um, oh yeah, right, right, right. Uh, that was probably one of probably one of my earliest um, Yosemite memories. Uh, um, Lower Pines has an amphitheater down there um and um uh you know they, they'd have different shows and stuff uh presentations and whatnot every night which i always thought was really neat um mm-hmm. but they when i'd had basically an open mic night where people could come up and tell their own stories mm-hmm. um and now here's me pretty young probably no more than seven at best okay a uh, little toe-headed kid that i was and our campsite neighbors at the time had like a, like a Datsun 510 wagon or maybe it was a 710, something like that. Uh Um, and, um, their car got busted into one night by a bear, you know, smashed out one of the, the rear side windows. Yeah. Um, and made off with a bag of Cheetos. Right. 
Crunchy, crunchy or puffy, I don't seem to remember. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what his preference was, but um, I have a memory, and obviously we, we have a, a family story of, of me at that age getting up uh, at that amphitheater and, and telling that story of, of this bear breaking into the car in the campsite next to us and making off with some Cheetos. You know, that's that's awesome. I totally remember that. And it's it's so funny because most people go to national parks and they want to be regaled with the beauty of seeing a bear or a bald eagle or a wolf or some sort of magnificent animal. As a child, I was so enthralled with the idea of uh, a, magnific- a magnificent animal um, eating Cheetos. That was, for me, that was the punchline, you know? I didn't want to see a bear. I wanted to see a bear eating Cheetos. For me, that was like, the world couldn't get any better. It's like <laughs> camping is just the greatest activity that can be imagined by humankind, you know? Um, and I, I think if it was any food item other than Cheetos, I would have been let down, you know? If yeah. it was peanut butter, it just wouldn't have had the same panache. Um, well, that's true, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, nature, junk food, Right. Kind of go together in that comic timing sense. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. When was the last time you were in Yosemite? Far, far too long ago. Really? Um, was it the 2000s? Maybe, maybe the very early 2000s. Maybe it was oh, wow. 2000. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I, t- I remember taking a friend who was uh, visiting the area for the first time up to mm-hmm. Yosemite for a day trip, um, driving mom and dad's. Uh, Mercur, the XR4TI. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, not really having done kind of a longer trip like this before, um, uh, motoring up Highway 120, and there's um, either there's Priest Grade, mm-hmm. which is kind of the long winding, and then there's Old Priest Grade, which is a lot mm-hmm. shorter, but a hell of a lot steeper. Right. Um, and we decided to take Old Priest Grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. And getting, that's the fun one, though. That is that is the fun one. Yeah. Well, getting up to the top of it and having to pull over and let the car cool down a bit, <laughs> um, because it was starting to smoke. Yeah, because it's like you you go up vertically like three thousand feet within like half a mile or something. It's it, almost it like is, it's a pretty insane climb. It's like, yeah, it's like driving straight up um, a roller coaster. You know, the big steep climb kind of thing it's so crazy you know yeah Yeah, it is Um, i mean i think any other time i would absolutely take you know regular priest grade um i can't imagine how they would get up that thing back in the day you must be have gone so slow going up that but if look on look on google maps look at uh um highway 120 uh, yeah that route into yosemite and you'll find old priest grade it's a crazy road i remember you know and it's crazy too because we have so many great memories of the valley but um, when I drove through Yosemite National Park in around two, 2010 to go to our uncle's funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, down in Arizona. Yeah. Um, I, oh, I forget what the name of the route is through the park. Tioga Pass. Tioga Pass. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's crazy because that was the first, very first time that I had seen any of the park that wasn't just the valley. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing like meadows and I mean, I didn't see Hetch Hetchy, but it's like I was seeing... So many beautiful things that, um, as a kid, I always just thought the valley was the park, and that was pretty much it. But there's so much more to the park that, I mean, I've never seen. I've never seen Hetch Hetchy. I'd love to see Hetch Hetchy or something Yeah, like that. I really, I've only ever really visited the valley right, myself. Right. And quite honestly, I almost think that, you know, that road trip that you took, you know, through Yosemite, 
into Nevada. Yep, down, down to Rachel, Nevada. Yeah, down the ET Highway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That could be an episode all in itself. That was that was a great time. And then on the route back, I got to stop at the um, the diner where they filmed a scene from Pee Wee's Big Adventure oh, with no, Large no. Marge with the no. giant dinosaurs. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a great time. I yeah. got to sleep in the Wigwam Motel in San Bernardino on Route sixty six. That's awesome. Now, hey, really quickly, do you? I I have a distinct memory of us camping. I mean, and this was an experience that wasn't just solely related to Yosemite, but there was a palpable sense of expectation and anticipation of learning who your neighbors were going to be in the camping stall next to you. Yeah, yeah. And I distinctly, like, I can't tell you how many childhood photos I've seen in the family photo album where it's, like, photos of, like, maybe, like, you macking on the, like, the like the neighbor girl who's like the same age as you or something like that. You know what I mean? I developed crushes very easily. Yeah. Cause you were, uh, the big thing was always like, okay, we're camping in stall or site number three ten. Who's going to be in three eleven? And are they going to have kids our age? And are any of them going to be chicks? You know what I mean? (laughs) Do you, do you have the same memory? I do. Yeah. Okay. Cause that was, cause it was great. Cause it was like, it was like, um, it was like just like random luck. It's like, who were we going to meet? Was it going to be some like, you know, wacky foreign couple that we can't understand what language they're speaking? Or is it going to be an older couple that are really slow and boring? Or is it going to be fun, fun people with young kids that we can play with? All that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Or, or is it going to be the, that type of camper that's like, you know, they show up in a motorhome or they show up in a trailer and they spend the entire time in it. Yeah. We never and see it. Like, right. Why? No. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. totally. It's kind of why I'm not a fan of, you know, trailers uh-huh, and uh-huh. stuff. Okay. I mean, <laughs> Now that I'm older, I can kind of, yeah, um, I can kind of see the advantage of one, but right, you know, I have to say, I think that my, my, maybe my last childhood memory of Yosemite mm-hmm. was, uh, visiting the Awani hotel. We never stayed there, no. but, um, the gift shop was frequently, um, populated with, um, Hopi Kachina dolls for sale. Yes, you were very into that. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with Hopi Kachina dolls. If the listeners um, don't know what those are, um, the Hopi are a tribe of American Indians down in Arizona, and they have a tradition of carving um, small dolls um, representing some figures from their mythology and religion. Um, and these dolls are avidly collected today by a lot of non-native peoples as art objects. Um, and Hopi Kachinas, there's so many different types of them, and they're so interesting in terms of their backstory, and they're so colorful. Um, it might be culturally inappropriate to say this, but in honest, all honesty, as a child, I thought that they had as much color and charisma as any um, comic book heroes or... Um, action figure toys. Um, of course, they're not toys. They're not comic book figures. They're an important part of the culture of an ancient people. Um, but as a kid, I was fascinated with these things. And I didn't understand why all other American kids weren't fascinated with them. And I can't tell you how many photos I found in the old family photo album where it's just me with the camera in the Iwani gift shop taking as many pictures of as many Hopi Kachina dolls as I could from any possible angle. It's ridiculous. It's like there's two pictures of Hap Dome and there's 40 pictures of the Iwani gift shop circa 1987. <laughs> and it's funny because from what I know now, I think probably most, if not all of 
the kachinas that were being offered for sale were actually carved by um, non-Hopi people because there's such uh, there's such money to be made on the collector's market that a lot of people um, make the dolls who aren't part of the, the tribe or the culture. Oh, um, interesting. But um, I'm not sure if you have any more, you so many memories that you want to mention, but um, there's, there's one thing I, I want to mention is that uh, quite frequently when we would go on these family road trips to go camping, especially the Yosemite, a lot of times we would have our um, kind of traditional pit stops in different towns. Right. And um, I think the McDonald's in Oakdale, we may have stopped at a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken. I might be mistaken about the city. No, no, no. Um, no there are McDonald's in, in Oakdale. And, and as we leave Yosemite this, at this point in our podcast and head towards the Great Pacific Ocean and Santa Cruz County, um, I'd like to propose that we theoretically stop at the McDonald's in Oakdale. And I would like to treat you to a Happy Meal. And I am dying to know... Um, what is your favorite Happy Meal toy from your childhood? Because I know what mine was, oh, and I am happy to share that with you. But I want to know what you man, that, distinctly just, remember. And I know this isn't something I really talked about in the show notes, that but I'm kind of just dropping this on you uh, last minute. Um, for this. Um, you know, in all honesty, um, anything Happy Meal related that, that kind of comes back to me with a very solid, strong memory mm-hmm. um, was the glassware you used to be able to get. Um, okay. Whether it was um, Garfield mugs, mm-hmm. which I still have a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, um, I think, a couple of various Muppet movie, like taller glasses. Okay. That you could get, um, you know, with, with scenes with the characters on it. Um, and there were also, I think, a set of taller Charlie Brown okay. Okay. glasses, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right, right. And, and, you know, just the idea that you could get, you could get glass. Hey, here's something that can break and be really sharp, kids. Have a happy <laughs> yeah, meal. totally. Yeah. Um, that was pretty wild. Um, and just, it's, it's, that was also the first item that I really remember from my childhood that I first saw in an antique store. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I went, but, but, oh my God, I totally remember these. Holy crap, I'm old. So it's the first thing you saw in an antique store that you related to from your childhood. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. What about you? Well, I loved, the, I have to, you know, a close runner up is all of the Lego sets. Oh, I definitely sure. Remember. Yeah. They were, it, it was, and they were really, they were so funny because it was like, you'd get this little clear plastic cellophane bag and the Lego set was so chintzy. It might've had just five pieces. Yeah, right. But it was still pretty cool. Um, but to be honest, the, the Happy Meal toy that I remember the most and have the fondest memory of was a series of big hollow blow molded plastic boats and one of them was like yellow and it was the Ronald McDonald side paddle wheel riverboat and then there was like a purple grimace boat and there was a green one that and they were chunky and they could float in the bathtub and they had these stickers you could yeah 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 do you know what I'm talking about I do there was a green one that was kind of rounded and it was supposedly the submarine you know yes Um, I think maybe they even opened up and you could, they, they could have put like French fries in them. And they were pretty big. They were like maybe the size of a lunchbox. Is this, am I ringing any of your bells right now? Yes. Does that sound important? <laughs> am size... I allowed to ring your bells? You're a married man. I don't know hey if now. I can ring your bells. Um, the size I'm not totally sold on. Okay. But I do, I seem to remember these boats. 
Okay. Okay. I have to research a little bit. Maybe they were that big and I just don't remember, but there's lots of pictures I online, but okay. Uh-huh. I honestly, I mean, if we're going to stop at the McDonald's in Oakdale, I want to go back to when they were, they were test marketing the McDonald's pizza. Oh, that God. was one of the ones they tested it at. Oh, no way. Yeah. Do you have memories of eating it? Uh, no, because we would hit it at breakfast time. Ah. Oh. Yeah. Denied. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, okay. Oh, jeez. Huh. Okay. Well, we've made our pit stop, folks, and now we're heading, we're heading west. Um, and I think we're going to, I think the next place on the, on the, on the road uh, trip is New Brighton. Yeah, New Brighton State Beach in Santa Cruz. We started, um, again, if memory serves, but I'm bummed. Um, we started beach camping around about 1988. Um, okay. You know, I think, honestly, I think, I think my folks, I think our folks were getting tired of making the long haul out to Yosemite. We would have to try and reserve a spot for summer mm-hmm. in January. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and also relatedly about that time, we started kind of, uh, getting into a bit of the sort of surf culture and the beach culture, which we'll, we'll talk about next month. Mm-hmm. So round about 1988, we said, Hey, why don't we go camp at the beach? Mm-hmm, this year mm-hmm. let's see what that's like right it's um, easier to get a spot reserved yeah and it's probably just like a 40 minute drive from I, home it was about 45 yeah 45 minute drive from san yeah. jose to santa cruz at that time um new brighton yeah it, i mean my memory of camping at new brighton there was the beach yeah and then there was a huge cliff that was maybe like 100 feet tall mm-hmm. and there was this weird trail this like switchback trail that you could walk up and down to climb from the beach to the top of the cliff. Yeah. And then at the top of the cliff, that's where there would be trees and campsites and picnic benches. That's, that's kind of the, my memory of the physical layout. Um, Yeah. Most of the, most of the beaches and and where there's camping and that kind of stretch of the coast, you know, you've got that, um, you know, campground up high beach a bit further down and you got a high okay. kind of thing for the most part because i know we also camped at sunset but i don't think i think my memories of the two are so interchangeable that i don't know if i can accurately dis- discriminate between the two places no you know what I, I mean i i get it you know um yeah parts of parts of sunset and we'll talk about more about sunset um had a similar <laughs> had a similar hike mm-hmm. um just because you know the changing landscape um but there was also kind of a, a lower portion. So depending on where you were in the, in the campground, um, mm-hmm. you might not have a steeple walk down. Okay. Um, New Brighton, for the most part, it was all cliff camping. And then, you know, the hike way down to the the beach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that shore break was really, really rocky at New okay. Brighton, which makes sense because, you know, here's this giant cliff that I'm sure is slowly breaking and, falling into the ocean there and i was bodyboarding a lot didn't even have a boogie board mm-hmm. yeah and so i was out in the water in just you know shorts and no top mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and i remember coming out and my whole front of my chest was so scratched up and mm-hmm. red from scraping on the rocks oh yeah that's yeah that was tough but you know what we loved it though you know mm-hmm. we loved it and you know it's it's Camping at the beach, for me, my biggest memory of camping at the beach 
I mean, we may have been camping there for like a week at a time. Yeah, we know? tended to camp about a week, six, about six a to week. seven days at a time. Right. I have huge memories, and I'm sure my memories are blown out of proportion because they were so negative. But it always seems to me that the first day we would be there, I would be down on the beach mucking around in the surf or something. And I would get like a couple grains of sand stuck under my eyelid in my eyes and it would be so painful and so hurtful. I would have to go back to the tent and lay down in the tent in the cot in the dark and cry and try to get the sand to come out of my eyes. And it almost felt like the next five or six days of the vacation was just me in the tent trying to cry and get the sand out of my eyes. No. I like it's like and I hate it because it's like I kind of felt it was almost like the kind of thing where you're a little kid and you're sick and all your friends are playing outside, but you can't go outside and play with them, you know, because mm. you're stuck in bedroom or something. Um, that was one of my biggest memories of camping at the beach. That's funny. Um, I don't really have a clear recollection of that happening. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, and, and that's the I thing. mean, I it trust you, obviously. I mean, it probably only happened once and it was probably not a whole week, but it was like just six hours. Mm-hmm. But like it was such a bad experience that I now thought it was six days and it happened like multiple times, sure. you know. And besides, um, we've got photographic for proof me, of you being out and about at beach camping. You didn't spend the yeah. whole time in the tent, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, for me, a lot of our, I mean, we we've been camping at the beach a lot, but we also had a lot of kind of like day trips. So I oh, think a yeah. lot of my memories, it's hard to tell if it was like camping beach or not. I distinctly remember one time there was some sort of unusual app situation whereby thousands of jellyfish and each themselves on the shoreline and, mm-hmm. and basically um, I mean I don't know what kind of jellyfish they were um, and I, I definitely and it was kind of funky because you'd be walking on the beach and you almost had to play hopscotch not to step on one mm-hmm. and I remember once like I had a plastic bowl that was like the Tupperware bowl that that you had in you had my almost. magic helmet yeah, I yeah, I um and I, I filled it up with seawater and put one of these jellyfish in it. And who knows whether or not it was actually coming back to life or maybe it was just me walking around and splashing the water, but it looked like it was sort of moving in the bowl, so I was convinced that I had like miraculously resurrected this jellyfish. Oh boy. And I distinctly remember wanting to either, you know, get mom and dad's like um approval in the sense that, Oh, you're such a good son, you were able to bring this wonderful creature back to life or maybe they would say something like well let's take it home and keep it as a pet and i kind of remember maybe mom just saying yeah you should probably just dump that back out on the beach with all the other dead ones you know but i was so excited because it was like you know i captured my own pet jellyfish you know and i was really proud of that so that was a big memory i had that's Uh, hilarious yeah um so yeah there's, there's actually one memory that i have from new brighton um that involves mom and dad. And of course, when I ask them about it, they have no recollection of it <laughs> whatsoever. But I remember them having kind of a UFO sighting one night after we had wow. gone to bed. Okay. Um, and as I remember the story going, one year camping there, you and I, we'd already gone to bed. I mean, we were kids, you know, mom and dad okay. was still up. They'd stay up till, you know, 10, 11. And the next morning, they described to me seeing what kind of looked like the, um, you know, the, the swinging pirate ship ride at, at, um, the boardwalk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Yeah. Um, so imagine that, um, shape lit up, um, but way off in the distance. 
So if you're, if you're, you know, kind of at the edge of camp, looking off the cliff, looking out into the ocean, mm-hmm. kind of seeing that shape out there. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing, man. UFO, right? Yeah. And in, um, asking mom and dad about it, mom was like, well, could you see the boardwalk? Right. From. Maybe they're just seeing the boardwalk. New yeah. Brighton. Yeah. Um, one, I went and took a look at Google Maps right away and there's no way on earth hmm. no way on earth that you could see the boardwalk from new brighton beach it, okay. it it's it is it faces the same way it's around a point there's just no you can't okay you not without folding space literally and right, then, right. And, then, and then you got a much cooler thing going on but yeah um so yeah no, no idea what that actually was i mean maybe it was just a a boat way off in the distance who knows yeah. but um, the Flying that, Dutchman, you know, the fly, that's right, ship. the Flying Dutchman. Now, right. the other thing that I remember, and you sent uh, one of the pictures over this evening that I was hoping you were sent over, um, is the Sony Watchman. Oh, yes, that's we right. we got to talk yeah, about yeah, the yeah. Watchman. Right, yes, because, um, of course, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't already learned, my brother and I were spoiled rotten as children. <laughs> um, we had the greatest mother and father in the galaxy in the sense that whenever we wanted a particular toy or a particular item, more often than not, then we got it. Um, and one of them was the Sony Pocket Watchman, which was a portable pocket television. Um, it was probably, oh, I don't know, let's say eight inches long and then two inch, maybe three or four inches wide and two inches deep, more or less. Um, it had rough, an incredibly numbers, small, yeah. yeah, incredibly small TV screen, maybe black and white, maybe three square inches or something like this, um, black um, and white. Big antenna. Yeah, it's it's a pretty small screen. It might have been, you know, two, two and a half inches on the diagonal. Exactly. Um, and it was a really fun... And actually, we still own it. Um, it's in my apartment. Uh, it's in really good condition. Of course, since we've all switched nationally from uh, broadcast analog uh, television transmission to digital, um, you really can't get anything other than static anymore. But um, it was really a, a great novelty in the late 80s to be camping and being able to watch tv um of course we probably should have been out or i should at least should have been out you know enjoying nature a little bit more but um it was a it was a great bit of uh, 80s technology that i think is pretty fondly remembered um there's still a lot of them on the market secondhand you can buy pretty easily and inexpensively Mm -hmm. on places like ebay um but yeah there's a great there's a great uh photo that we'll have to throw up in our social media um for that i i have very clear memories of getting up, you know, Saturday morning at, at camp, you know, ah, having a bowl of cereal and watching Saturday morning cartoons. Right. Yeah. It's good times. Really good times. Totally. I'm so glad we still have that too. You know? I, yeah. That's, I mean, that's really cool. Not, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know of anybody else, at least in my circle of people I knew who had one of those. No. Yeah. I didn't either. Growing yeah. up. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, after after trying New Brighton for a few years, um, I seem to remember Mom not liking the fact that we always tended to be a little downwind of the bathrooms. <laughs> there. Are you serious? I, I, I seriously, I think that was the reason that we moved from <laughs> New Brighton to Sunset State Beach, is a little bit further south, a little bit closer to Watsonville. It's hilarious. Um, in fact, I was a little blown away because um, we are this summer with the family doing. Um, one small camping trip because we waited to reserve a date until very late um, at Big uh-huh. Basin in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Oh, no way. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Latter part of it... June. And then a month later, 
uh, we're basically renting a condo for a weekend at a place called Pajaro Dunes okay. in Watsonville. And when I actually mapped it, it is immediately south of Sunset. Like it oh, borders no Sunset. Oh my gosh. And I flipped out. I was like, oh my God, we're going to be right next to Sunset. That's so cool. That is pretty cool. Is is the first camping trip, is that going to be tent camping or what's uh, the setup? Yes, that is going to be tent camping. Oh, cool. Okay. okay. Yeah. And we're going to be better nice. about kind of getting our reservation in even earlier for next year. I have this really strong memory of us camping at Sunset and me, for some reason, having a really miserable time. Maybe it was because I had sand in my eye or something and I was Maybe. very sad. And I remember you coming to me and taking me over to a wooden bench, like a park bench in the campgrounds and showing me some graffiti that had been carved into it. That was a Hopi rain cloud symbol that I was familiar with from my Kachina doll books Really, um, to kind of cheer me up and, you know, boost my morale and which it really did. And I half wondered if you were being like a big brother and like had actually intentionally carved that into the the bench and then claimed oh somebody had just you know you, you didn't carve it but it had just been there and somebody had carved it years ago or something like that well you know? i i think just by um, looking at it you could tell if it was carved recently or not yeah and no it, it, it was unless i've completely know? blocked it from my memory no i didn't carve it yeah because there was also a on the on the road to i guess New brighton there was a small trading post uh curio shop that also sold um kachina dolls uh, mostly uh, counterfeit ones but that was another place where just like the Iwani for me camping and Kachina it all kind of went hand in hand you know um, apparently yeah yeah one of the weird things that I was found with sunset is that that right behind the campground so you're going inland obviously from the coast here but literally borders right up to it is a sod farm you're right right um and I remember one year we kind of camped and we were butted right up against uh, the fence there, which wasn't the most impressive fence in the world. And, and then there was the sod farm. Yeah. Um, and it was great because, you know, there'd be times where we'd want to, I don't know, throw the football around or throw the frisbee around. And so we're like, all right, we're just going to hop over the fence because you know, we don't see anybody. And we'd play for a bit and then we'd hop back over. See, my memory of this, my, I, I distinctly remember that. And we have a photo of that um, as well, um, yeah. that we can share online. My memory was that that was, uh, a camping trip where uncle Jeff and uncle Rob came to be with us, um, as well as mom and dad and you and me. Um, oh, that may well be and, because there, and, there were definitely times camping, even up in Yosemite where other members of the family would come up and, you know, maybe spend a few days or the whole yeah. time with us. That's true. Yeah. I remember Uncle Rob and Uncle Jeff on the sod farm throwing the Nerf football around. This, these were like the glory days of the San Francisco 49ers. So they yes. were like reenacting famous 49er plays. And I distinctly remember us camping at the campground with Rob and Jeff there. And it was bedtime and I went to bed and you went to bed. And I think maybe mom went to bed, but maybe dad was still up with mm-hmm. Uncle Rob and Uncle Jeff around the campfire late into the night. And I was really nervous because of that. And I remember like, coming out of the tent and like throwing up oh because, really? yeah because as a little kid as we've established from some of the previous episodes that was really hung up on the idea of like parents disappearing oh and sure the yeah the idea that i would go to bed but my parents weren't going to bed at the same time meant that like potentially at some time during the middle of the night i could wake up and they would be gone and i wouldn't know what the context was of where they've gone or if they're mm. going to come back and it kind of just freaked me the heck out you know sure so I definitely left my mark on Sunset State Beach in that sense. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Mm. Um, one of the neat things about Sunset is is part of it actually has you know like we were saying before it's got this really uh, steep cliff, mm-hmm. um, but what they've built there um, is basically um, a place for people to fly remote control gliders mm. and stuff, and it so much so that they've actually marked off like a little runway in the sand up at the top of that cliff. Is that a recent thing, or is that when we were kids? No, nope, that's that's always been there. Oh wow, I have no memory of that. Yeah, um, wow. and it's a great place to you know sit and watch a sunset. Um, but yeah, I remember a few times uh, we'd hike up there just just to see uh, the view, and somebody would be up there with an RC glider, and you know you're up you know a few hundred feet, uh, and so you can you know if you've got one of these, you can chuck it off and um, get some good lift. You know, that's that's crazy because I, I totally dropped the ball. I forgot to mention the fact, going back to Yosemite for just a minute, there was a, a great incident where um, back in the late 80s, early 90s, our father was really into a um, upper class version of paper airplanes called White Wings. Yes. Which was, uh, it, it was, it was halfway between paper airplanes and model airplanes, mm-hmm. I guess you might say. Mm-hmm. Um, they were essentially paper airplanes, but, but they were little kits and they were very technically designed to maximize lift and flight and things like this. And I, I distinctly remember, if, correct me if I'm wrong, we all went up to Glacier Point yep. and dad shot a white wing off the Glacier Point in direct violation of federal law, <laughs> yep. you know, um, and it probably flew 3000 feet or down or something into the valley floor. Um, uh, I just, I'm so sorry I forgot. That's in the show notes, but I totally glossed right over it. You know, so I had to bring that up really quickly. You were mentioning no, the no. RC gliders, and I brought it back to mind. So. It is no, that's a, that's no, it's a great story, and it's and it's worth telling because I remember I felt like Mission Impossible as a kid. Oh yeah, because you know we're like carrying it with us, but we it was kind of hidden. Yeah, you know, Dad kind of had it. You know, with the little launcher and stuff kind of cocked at the ready. And right. I remember passing a ranger who was headed the other way as we were right. headed out to the point where we're like, oh, dude. Right. And it literally was so fast that we got out there. It's like we just did that quick look around. We didn't see anybody. You know, obviously there's tourists. Yeah. And he just brings it up, you know, full lock on the uh, uh, thing, like he's getting ready to fire an arrow out of a bow and just lets it go. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I, I- I could swear there's a photo of that in the family album somewhere. There, I managed because I was I had a Polaroid at the time. I'd gotten one for Christmas. Yeah. Um, I have a Polaroid picture, and it's just blue sky and this one little dot. Okay, okay, that's what I'm thinking of then. Okay, so okay. it sails out for a little ways and then just yeah. plummets straight down, and we're oh, like, of ah, <laughs> and yeah, it was the coolest thing ever. We had the greatest parents on earth, you know. And some people around us obviously noticed too, so we're all kind of watching. And then somebody else oh, goes, yeah. "There it is." It had plummeted and then caught a draft and shot out. Yeah, like a thermal or something. Yeah, and it we watched for a long while as it made its way down, and we. Dad did try to go look for it later. We we figured it landed <laughs> somewhere in Happy Isles, um, but it was nowhere near a path. And it's so funny because it's like, isn't it like if you go to a national park, isn't it like like illegal to just pick up and take home with you a pine cone? I mean, yeah, it's like technically, it's like it's like th- this shooting at the White Wings off Glacier Point. Like that must have been like like a dozen different federal laws we broke or something. You no, know? I don't know about that many, but I mean, but I, I, I remember we'd, we'd bring back a hiking stick every year. Yeah, no, I know it was, it was, you know? 
this land is your land, this land is my land. You know what I mean? And and here's we're taking our part of my land. So there you go, yeah, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's a great story. I'm I'm glad you remembered to to tell it. Oh, totally. Oh man. Um, so yeah, just to kind of wrap up um some of sunset, because I, I think some of this is gonna factor into next month's episode too. So we're just we're we're we'll drop some some crumbs here. I remember because at this point in family history, we didn't have the station wagon anymore. We had a 78 Ford Fairmont station wagon with fake wood panel siding, and that was our camping car. Oh, yeah. Um, and th- that could easily hold all of us and our gear. Uh-huh. Uh, Mom and Dad eventually traded it in on the, on the Mercur, on the XR4TI, um, which was a great car. You couldn't really camp out of it, though. No. Not with four people, but we had my bus... And then in June of 87, we bought another bus. Um, and yeah, they're slow, but boy, they'll hold a lot of stuff. So right. we would always take the buses to go camping, you know, whether it's the 21 window or whether it was the one that I had at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one year we got, you know, we got to the campsite early or we got to the campground. We got to sunset early and we just kind of had to sit in the parking lot and wait. Um, oh, for the campsite to open? Yeah. Yeah. Wait yeah. For yeah. It to free up. And, and, um, I was really into reggae music at the time. I remember right. just sitting there and listening to, um, Ziggy Marley's Conscious Party album. Um, you know, stuff like that. We had, we had, you know, they've got Razor scooters nowadays. Um, uh-huh. and they're all well and good, but I think we had much cooler scooters. And there might, there might even be a picture of you on one of them. Okay. But you can't, you can't see the wheels because they were basically like, they were like miniature BMX bike wheels. You know, I saw this in the show notes, but I'm having difficulty visualizing it or remembering it. I'm going to have to go on eBay and see if I can find some images of these because they sound pretty cool. They were great. Um, I loved riding them. Uh, one of the great things about taking them camping is that, you know, here you've got this, you know, maybe eight or nine inch diameter, uh, you know, knobby uh, tire so you can handle non-paved surfaces you know so we can go okay. riding our scooters like an all, all over scooter. dirt or whatever where if you got a razor scooter nowadays um then you've basically got a rollerblade wheel on it you know you're stuck to pavement uh-huh, uh-huh. um and and I, I don't remember if we got them for christmas or birthday or just what but but those things were pretty rad oh totally they sound pretty cool yeah oh man well dude should we uh i really only have one last thing I kind of wanted to talk about in this episode. I mean, if, Sounds uh, good. if it's okay with you, I think we're yeah. going to go back back into the mountains a little bit. Okay. Um, I really really quickly want to talk a little bit about um, Camp Campbell, which was a, a YMCA facility. It's still in existence. It's in Boulder Creek in the Santa Cruz Mountains. It's about a 50-mile drive from our childhood at home. And uh, I attended a week-long science camp uh, at Camp Campbell. Same here. Uh, around the fifth grade or so. Yeah, fifth grade. Um, I think you might have as well. It was through our, the public school we attended. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't attend it at the same time that you were there at Camp Campbell, of course. Um, and I don't know if you remember, but um, each cabin of students, at least when I was there, was named after a different species of wildlife. And I can still remember that um, I was a peregrine falcon. That was like the name of the cabin that I lived in. Yeah, okay. And it's it was really kind of funky because Camp Campbell, it's your traditional summer camp kind of setup, right? Um, 
get the little cabins. Each little group of kids has a camp counselor that lives with them and takes care of them or whatever. And there was a funny camp tradition. The camp staff had a tradition to try to encourage quiet evenings. And it was something called the legend of the sand people. And the sand people, according to the camp counselors, lived in the forest. And if a cabin was particularly quiet at night, sand people would tend to sleep on the that cabin's porch mm-hmm. because it was a quiet place for them to catch some Z's. And then by dawn, the sand people would wake up and they would have gone back into the woods, but frequently they'd forget and leave their shoes on the porch. Yes. And what the camp counselors were actually doing was they had a number of old shoes and boots that they covered with glue and glitter. Mm-hmm. And these were supposedly the footwear of the sand people. Yeah, I don't know why they call hippies. them sand people because you're in a forest, but anyway. Well, yeah, weren't the sand And so people each in night Star the Wars? counselors would go around. T- well, yeah, exactly. Tuscan Raiders. Right. Yeah. We'll have Thank to you. talk about them in our Star Wars episode right. eventually. Yeah. Um, but each night the, cance- the counselors would go around and find out which cabins were well-behaved and quiet, which ones are loud and rowdy and not the kids aren't going to sleep. And they'd leave the boots on the cabins that were quiet. Mm-hmm. And so in the morning, the kids would wake up and everybody would be like, okay, did my cabin win the prize, quote unquote, that evening of getting this weird glittery boot? Yeah. And it was kind of a way to kind of encourage kids to be quiet, you know, and actually get sleep. Mm-hmm. And fast forward to high school. Now, you know, of course, attended the same high school. Mm-hmm. And if you recall, our high school had a volunteer requirement for graduation. Yes. So in addition to, you know, getting good grades, you actually also had to um, satisfy uh, a set number of hours working doing charitable volunteer work. Mm-hmm. And volunteering at, as a camp counselor at Camp Campbell was one of the options available. And That's what I did. Neat. I did it too. I volunteered for this option because the hours that you spent sleeping during the week at Camp Campbell counted towards the total number of hours that you were required to graduate from high school. Exactly. Right. You're, you and I are on the same page. Um, but I have to tell you, I was such a, and I was really excited about this because I had a great experience there as a student mm-hmm. so, in the fifth grade. So I was thinking, okay, I'm going to get to relive some of my childhood. This is going to be really fun. I am such a poor leader, however, <laughs> and my campers were so unruly that by the end of the week, the only remaining rule that I had in my cabin was don't die. If you don't die, that's the only rule. Don't die. Wow. And my cabin throughout the whole week of all the little cabins in Camp Campbell, my cabin was the only cabin that never once received a boot from the sand people. Aww. I know. Can you believe it? But that's I love a, that story. I tell that story all the time. That's a so. great story. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I've, got, I've got good memories of Camp Campbell. And Do you really? Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, I mean, uh, the, the only one that really stands out that, that is, you know, apart from from any of your stories, because I remember the boots and I remember all that kind of stuff. So I remember seeing a sick mm-hmm. banana slug one time. It's kind of green. It had a bubble coming out of its air hole. It wasn't doing oh, too God. good. Oh, it wasn't doing too good. Um, but yeah, that I mean, that those were fun times. Oh, no. I feel bad for the banana slug. I feel bad for you. You see, you have a cold, too. Yes, I do. But thankfully, no bubbles coming out of any of my air holes at the moment. Okay. Well, that's um, good. And for those of you li- still listening at this point, thank you for making it through any of my coughs that I haven't been able to edit out of the podcast um trust me there's a lot more that i've been able to edit (laughs) out or hit the mute button on well in spite of that i really want to say this has been a great episode i've really enjoyed being able to travel with you down memory lane tonight taylor and thank you so much for for stepping up and 
powering through tonight and we're getting this recorded. I think this has been really exciting. Yeah, I think I'm about ready to pop some Mucinex, make sure the house is locked up, go crawl into bed and listen to Smart Bell. Right, right. Now, Tate, for July's episode, what are we going to talk about? All right, we are going to talk about the impact of surf culture on our lives. This is going to be kind of an interesting episode because this was like, this is kind of a big, at least for me, this is kind of a big part of my identity as kind of a tween Mm -hmm. and early teen. So this is uh, close to my heart, let's say. Right. So it's not, not only the activity of surfing, but the music, the clothing, yeah. the accoutrement kind movies of thing. Movies, even. Movies, stickers. Um, oh, yeah. So oh, many yeah. stickers. I think yeah, this is going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. I've actually, you know, it's been on my mind so much. I got about halfway through May and I went, okay, I need to put some of these ideas down. I've literally already started to show notes for July. Right, right, right. I'm excited. I think this is great. Well, this has been a really fun evening. Um, and folks, as always... Uh, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Memory Serves Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at Clan McMuffin. And you can follow Tay at... At Apex Buddha. Apex Buddha, that's right. And please subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever you get your podcasts. Just search If Memory Serves. Please rate and review us as well. You know, we always appreciate a five-star rating because that will boost us up and get us more exposure. But, hey, please give us whatever rating you think we deserve. That's only fair. Um, also, just uh, subscribe to Night of the Living Geeks on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash the N-O-T-L-G. Make sure to check out all the other podcasts also that are available on N-O-T-L-G.com. There's a lot of great podcasts out there, folks. And please, if you can, if you are in a position to help support us and keep the entire network going, patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G. Morgan Willis does our intro and outro music. It's the track Party All Night. Check him out on Facebook. Search up Morgan Willis. His name is in all caps. He's on Twitter, twitter.com slash Morgan Willis 82. And check him out on SoundCloud. Just search Morgan Willis. And folks, thank you so much for listening. As always, to the If Memory Serve podcast, Taylor, I love you. Thank you so much for a great episode tonight. Yeah, this has been really fun. Thank you for fun. doing the hosting duties. Oh, my pleasure. I'm hoping you feel a lot better for our uh, next month's episode. I think it's going to be a great topic. I'm really uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, man. Well, we will talk to you next time. See ya. Bye, bye, folks. Okay. La 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 la. Here we go.